Insights Marketing Day is back. This one-day virtual event will be packed full of industry-leading speakers providing essential tips and tools to improve your company's marketing. From social to web, blogging to podcasting, we'll cover a range of topics that need to be addressed for a successful, comprehensive, and interconnected marketing plan. We'll talk big picture with strategy and annual content calendars down to granular level micro actions so you leave informed and inspired. If you're ready to get a jump start on your 2021 marketing goals, you need to attend Insights Marketing Day. Visit insights-marketing.org. Use the code PERCH, P-E-R-C-H, at checkout for 20% off your ticket price. See you there. Welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast. Of course, this is Priscilla McGinney, the Mama Bird here. And with me today, I have Tiama Hansen-Drury. She is a great friend um, that I've met through Women in Research. And so we're going to hear a little bit more about that uh, later on. But she is the EVP of product for Dynata. You cannot be in this industry of market research or around it without knowing who Dynata is. Uh, But they provide the world's largest first-party data and insights platform. So researchers and marketers who are trying to build actionable insights and really drive marketing campaigns at scale, those who are trying to measure the campaign effectiveness, all that kind of stuff that happens uh, in the marketing world, they come to Dynata to get the information so that they can make the business decisions they need to make in real time. So Tiama Hansen-Drury, welcome to Ponderings from the Perch. Thanks, Priscilla. I'm so happy to be here. I've listened to several of your previous episodes, and it's a pleasure to be here. Well, we've gotten to get to know each other a little bit through Women in Research, and like I said, we're going to get to that a little bit, but it's <laughs> fun to have people on uh, on the show who really just um, are interested in being around the industry and commenting on it, as well as providing their experience and their expertise, and that's what I really find in you. So we're going to talk all all around those kinds of things, but we can go anywhere with this conversation. So, so if you feel like you want to go a different direction, I'm just giving you full permission, Tiama. <laughs> okay, same to you. If you want to go left or left, we can go left. <laughs> we could do it. We could do it. Well, tell a little bit about how um, how you came into the insights market research industry because I talk with a lot of people who came here by chance, and yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit of your story about it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. There's very few of us who entered this um, industry intentionally or with a degree that we thought, you know, while we were in school, this is what I'm going to do with it. Those mm-hmm. that did, we look to them as, you know, beacons because I think it's it's awesome that they had that extra experience. Um, but you know, for me, it was intentional, but it was meant to be a kind of a quick a quick a quick tour almost. I was <laughs> doing a Uh, I'm type A. So people, anyone who's worked with me knows this about me. And of course I had a plan. So I wanted to go back and do executive coaching. I wanted to do uh, my PhD in that. And I planned to spend two years at a small business, two years at a medium sized business and two years at a large size business. um, So that when I did go back into graduate school and wanted to work on my approach for executive coaching, I had 
had some experience in each size business. Um, when I was picking my businesses, I thought, well, let's pick things that I like, right? So my first business, uh, and people always ask about what's that wine, that wine industry on your resume, it was in wine, because I loved wine. So I spent two years working for a boutique wine distributor. Um, and then I came into the consumer insights world, because I loved research and had done a bunch of research as an undergrad. And I never left, uh, because I fell in love <laughs> with the whole idea of, you know, consumers out there, they deserve to be compensated for participating in the research that drives, you know, our understanding of truth and our understanding of sound business strategy. And um, I just kind of fell in love with that problem and have been working on it ever since. So, see, that's why I wanted to hear this from you because I think you are one of the unicorns. <laughs> Everybody else comes at it from a million different places. And if you look at the, your experience over the years, you've been at this place in insights and at this place in insights and looking at a, you know, even you think about, you've looked at it from a lot of different perspective. You looked at it from, uh, you know, from the research, you've looked at it from blockchain, you've looked at it from technology and platforms. And so it's kind of interesting how I think that flow is, you know, really about where you're at now. Why did you get into products specifically at Dynata? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I think why at Dynata is a different thing, but why I got into product was I was working with a lot of our strategic clients at um, what was GMI and then was acquired by WPP and became Cantor Profiles. And I, I realized that the solutions that I was working with my clients on to deliver, they were, in essence, had these very specific characteristics. They were things that other clients were asking for, right? Mm -hmm. um, people in the industry were hearing, hey, I heard how you put together that approach for tracking for this client, or I heard how you put together that approach for, um, you know, running this tracker tracking study for this client or the social media, you know, approach for complementing data for this client. And as I did that, I started to realize, you know, if we, if we approached this differently, right, uh, we could actually build it once and we could reuse it multiple times. And so mm -hmm. at, at that point, there was a acquisition that was taking place. GMI was becoming part of the WPP family. And, uh, you know, credit to the WPP folks. I kind of said, look, I've spent, you know, I think at that point, four, four and a half years in these various kind of commercial roles. I'd love to give my shot at product, give my, my chance at product, because I think what, what makes me good is, finding these solutions that clients want to buy and they want to buy time and time again, I'd like to try building them. Right. And so right. they give me the shot and I really have to say, you know, thank you to the, the leadership there because I didn't have a background in product at all. And yet they gave me a chance to come in and um, start what would come to be, you know, half of my whole career at this point has been spent actually over half has been spent in product now. So but that's really where the industry went too. So kudos to you for jumping on that bandwagon because the idea of being able to you know, uh, first of all, you had the experience. So you really were in tune with what clients were asking for. So you're not building product out of some weird lab basement of, I think if we build this, people will use it. <laughs> you, know? Right. So, you know, you were in the trenches and you knew what it was people were at. You're like, you're just like, I've, this is echoing. I hear this again. Here's the, you know, so it's like you, you hear that need and being able to capture it and then say, okay, how could we build a system that, of course, is going to be able to be customized to some degree for the project, but yet you're right, the core of this could be built one time and we could resell it over and over again because it is meaningful. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it just, it's so funny you bring that up because I haven't thought of it for years, but I remember that, that thing of, you know, and I was, I was on the front lines of the sales and we'd be like, oh man, I mean, this is cool that we just got released, but shoot, I would have really liked to have something, you know, else that had come first. And I think it was because the discipline of product was really evolving at that point. And previously product had really been thought of as being a technology driven thing. Um, and at that time, I think there became a real sense of, you know, the industry itself was starting to look for things that were not bespoke. They were not one off. They wanted things that they could have for repeat use. And so products started to include much more of a commercial and a kind of marketing focus as opposed to just being, you know, internal products that were focused on delivering better quality or products mm -hmm. that were based on delivering better scripting um, experiences, things like that. Right, right. And and the industry went a couple of different directions because there's there's people who are managing product and developing product that is for internal use, meaning for your own platform. And then there's just this crazy other piece of the industry creating product really only for the client to use for truly DIY. Absolutely. So, so it's kind of interesting there. But, you know, tell me about how you think that discipline um, you know, of, of building product has changed during your time in our industry. And I want to kind of caveat this by saying I've had a lot of conversations with people in the last six months about how specifically uh, consumer centricity has started to make an impact, you know, in, in the market research industry. So what have you seen? What, what are your, what are your thoughts kind of from your not only have your hands in it, but also you've seen the, the trajectory of how product creation has changed during your time in the industry. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, one, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of customer centricity becoming so important. And that I think is just as a discipline and across our industry, we've gotten better at incorporating customer feedback into the product design process. And I think the whole mm. industry shows for that. That's why you see such cool, innovative products and companies coming out all the time. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. And then I think in terms of the discipline and how it's evolved, I think there's, there's two ways I look at it. One is that um, we went, we started, like I said, there was kind of this nature of everything that we did was bespoke. If you think about what we were selling and delivering to our clients, you know, 15 years ago, most of that was bespoke. Then we moved into a position where we started to realize the benefits of standardization, automation, um, and why that was not only good from a operational and cost perspective, but actually for the benefit of the research, because you get greater comparability um, and your, your study that you run once suddenly has more meaning because you can compare it to lots of other things. And that's when I think, you know, the rise of, you know, the automation platforms came in. I think now what we're starting to see is almost like if this is a pendulum swing, um, we're starting to see a bit more of it swing back towards the center where we are learning as an industry how we can handle what previously would be thought of as bespoke development. And, you know, bespoke development 15 years ago would have meant ambiguous requirements, not well-defined or understood requirements. And really, this is something we're just doing for one-off client, right? Like, we know exactly how this client's going to use it. We know that it's going to solve their pain point. We have not gone into the process of thinking, is that something we can deliver at scale repeatedly? And will it work for our business? Will we, will we do a good job? It, we, we also weren't looking at it as, hey, you know, when we look at the competitive landscape, 
You know, are we best positioned to be able to provide this? Or is there someone who's going to be more efficient at that? And does that change our willingness to invest? Now, I think because we as an industry have evolved and really gotten good at how do you build products? How do you manage roadmaps? How do you design the solutions that are related to what works for your customer, but also works for you as a business to deliver? We are getting kind of back into a, yeah, we can do some bespoke kind of uh, development to your point earlier about, yeah, the product may be built once for repeat use, but that doesn't mean we can't configure it for your specific way of looking at the world. And, and so I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that I've seen. Um, and it's a really exciting time because, you know, I mean, at least, you know, for our product teams, I know that, you know, obviously it's exciting to build something that works at scale, right? That's really, really, you know, if we can see repeat use, if we can see repeat buying, if we can see the fact that it's scaling, you know, um, and there's, you know, increasingly more buying centers within the clients that we're selling to, et cetera, that's really exciting. But also what's really fun is the customization piece, right? Like making it look pretty, Mm -hmm. like it, you know, it looks like Little Bird Marketing's look and feel and it it replicates their view of the world and it replicates their lexicon. And and so I think it's it's kind of the both the best of best of both worlds at this point. Again, that's a little bit of customer centricity. I mean, there there's you know customer centricity is linked you know kind of bled into how we you know work with the respondents and make sure that they're having a good experience. But customer centricity for you is that research firm that's using it, and that like so you kind of use that example. It's like if Little Bird's using it, it should be Little Birdified. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I, I love that idea because people do want to operate in their own world. They want the products that you're creating to make sense to how they are serving their end clients. And I think that's a super strong point. I really love your view of it too, because you've seen it over the years, ebb and flow of go from that, you know, uh, from that bespoke model to, you know, to completely scalable, like, you know, com- completely coming, like, look, this is, this is the, this is the box we have, use this box. Um, that's probably giving like super, super general broad strokes uh, about it. Let's take a quick break so I can tell you about this show's sponsor. All car enthusiasts know the name Meguiar's. From soap to wax, they've been polishing the world's planes, trains, and automobiles for more than 110 years. Meguiar's products provide car-crazy enthusiasts an opportunity to express their utmost pride with their vehicle and overall passion for the car hobby. Check them out at meguiars.com, M-E-G-U-I-A-R-S.com. So let's talk a little bit about um, how you and I met. Yeah, which was through women in research. And I've got to say, I think it's been several episodes, which is unlike me to have given a shout out to women in research. And I always take just a quick moment to remind people, hey, it's not an exclusive club. Women and men can be in it, but it's in the market research and it's women in research, W-I-R-E. And you can go check them out at womeninresearch.org. It is always free to join. And it's an amazing network where just, for example, this is how I met Tiama. So if you're thinking, gosh, I'd love to hear, um, you know, other perspectives, you know, and also get insight about how do I get my career where Tiama's is? How do I, how do I understand the market like she does? You can have access to these people and make your own network through this amazing global reach. So make sure you go check check them out. But Tiama, tell us about how, uh, you know, women in research has impacted your career. How has that been for you? I mean, 
it's been a huge, huge driver of me and where I've gone. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, kudos to Kristen for seeing that there was an opportunity and really putting in the sweat equity over, you know, over a decade to build this phenomenal community, because it really is, uh, you know, as I often say, like, it's the best thing for a, a company to invest in their their staff and their employees being part of women in research because while yes of course there is a certain nature about developing our own relationships our own self-identity and how we can leverage that to achieve our career goals it's a huge benefit for networking for business right so not only do we develop good relationships you know you and i being a great example but it's this really welcoming and inclusive uh, community where we can talk openly about, look, I'm in sales today, but you know, I really have a desire to move into product. I really want to do that. Does anyone have any suggestions on how I could go about that? Would anyone be willing to give mm -hmm. me a chance to present, you know, at a round table or, uh, you know, presented a monthly webinar on what I've learned and how I can plot my path there? You know, oh, wow. You know, we've got a mentorship program who maybe we can partner someone up with me that's gone on that similar career trajectory. Right. So, so it gives you the space to dream about what you want to do within your career, which sounds a little wishy-washy, but honestly, we need more of that. This, this industry is <laughs> so far, right, we need yeah. to drive ourselves forward. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a great investment for you as an individual by far. I always try to recommend it to folks because I've been involved with it for so long. And, you know, I really, I think the, the community has been huge. Um, the mentorship program has been huge. And I really like where we're going in the future. And um, there's a lot of interesting things, you know, that are on the docket, as you, you know. And I mean, one of those is definitely making it more clear that the allies and the advocates are so welcome and, and actually really necessary, right? Um, mm. Because this isn't just about, you know, as anyone who's worked with diversity and inclusion knows, it's not about the person who is the underrepresented um, or the minority doing all the work actually to bring them forward. It's it's about the company and the community saying it's important to us to have a diverse and inclusive environment for our own benefit. How can we make that playing field more even? And, and men definitely do and have been huge supporters of WIRE over the years. Mm -hmm. Okay, hold that thought because I really want to come back to that. But I do want to say also just a shout out to Dinata for being a supporter of WIRE because while it's free to everybody else, there are a lot of uh, companies that have stepped up to the plate to underwrite it so it can happen for free for everybody. So big thank you to you and your Dynata crew for that. But I want to come back to what you said about diversity. And one kind of personal thing is I really feel like, you know, it, it's easy, especially you and I, we're, we're at a lot of global events. And it is really easy to look on stages or be in virtual meetings and be like, oh, look at the diversity and inclusion and be like, oh, great, a bunch of white men talking to us again. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's very easy to say. And uh, obviously, we're all involved deeply trying to make that not be always the case, not because white men don't have things to say to us, but because we don't want people and voices to be excluded. But, you know, I, one thing I really love about WIRE and about people getting involved here is that a lot of us are very proactive about making sure that women are on stage, um, that we're seeing diversity on stage. But one thing I love about WIRE, it's not just this flippant comment, it's also to say to other women and really create a space to say, if we want more women, if we want more people of color, if we want all kinds of diversity in front of us and, and, and do we want to hear that voice and we want to be challenged by those voices and we want to learn from those voices, then that also means that when 
someone knocks on the door and comes calling for us to speak, we have to say yes. Yes. <laughs> and we can be flippant about, you know, event organizers all the time, you know, but the reality is that they're also challenged with trying to get those, those same people that w- whose voices we want to hear to, you know, either be presented or to have the courage to submit, you know, for some of these places. And there's just, it's so complicated. And I guess that's my point. This is one thing I like about Wire and about the conversations I have with you and so many other women in it. There's not one simple solution. It's not a, oh, this is simple. It's we all have our part to do, right? Absolutely. And honestly, if this was simple, it would be solved. But <laughs> one of the things that I think wire, uh, you know, not to this turning into like a, a wire promotion, but like, I know, I love one it. Of, <laughs> one of the things I think wire's done is the 50 50 initiative, right? And I, I'm right. really proud that Dianita backed it this year because, you know, that's a small thing that we can do, but we do a big customer event every year, right? And we spend a lot mm-hmm. of money to bring people, you know, into a nice hotel and put on this nice, experience and it's amazing because our customers get up there on stage and they talk our industry you know best practice uh, leaders come on stage and they talk and this is the thing you know gary our ceo and i spoke about is okay we may not be running an industry event we're not running you know iiex or arf or anything but we actually do this event and we should sign on to the diversity pledge the 50 50 mm. we should make mm-hmm. a pledge that when we go and work with our clients and when we work with our partners and we bring in outside thought leaders let's make sure that diversity um you know multifaceted diversity is part of mm-hmm. our pledge so i i was really glad we signed that this year we just completed a training for our um, staff uh anyone who you you know, the, the females who wanted to join and become speakers on the 50-50 list, right? Because for those who don't know, the way it works is anyone can sign up to make their event a 50-50 initiative, which means try to get 50% women on stage. But then also WIRE provides a list of speakers so that if a public, you know, if, a, if an event organizer is like, oh, I can't find any women to speak, we can then hand them a list that says, yeah, actually, here's 35 women in your region who are willing to speak, right? Um, <laughs> and, and so I wanted our staff to be able to join that list. And we took a step back and said, well, how can we make sure that that will be successful? Well, we can train them on best practices on speaking, right? And so we just completed that um, that webinar, which was really fun to do internally. And I think very useful for folks. Oh, that's super awesome. Now let, let's take it a step further about Dynata and how a lot of this diversity and inclusion um, initiatives come up. So I, I, I specifically wanted to talk with you about this because Dynata had an interesting reaction. I wouldn't say interesting, maybe that's not the right word, but um, Dianita different, definitely, you know, led in some, um, you know, some very positive reactions to the global protests that happened this year around systemic racism and police violence. I would love for your thoughts on that and and just really to highlight where Dianita is going with this. Yeah, well, this is a topic very near and dear to my heart. Um, so I'm happy to speak about it. You know, at Dynata, we already had what we call our diversity and inclusion task force. Now, um, that was something that we created at the end of last year. A group of individuals around the world came together and said, hey, I'm, I'm passionate about this. I want to, you know, basically create a grassroots organization to look at our DNI approach, right? Um, and we started that planning process end of last year. We put together our strategic goals for 2020. 
Um, and it involved four different pillars. I won't bore people with what they were, but you know, our, our theme for the year was around equality. And then it was, well, how do we, how do we make that something that we can do? Um, so the point in saying that is that we have this kind of incubation uh, kind of group across the business that already was focusing, coming together. It was new, right? Definitely. But we were already coming together and had kind of this sense of community. Um, mm-hmm. So when the George Floyd uh, murder happened and, you know, the protests uh, to racial injustice and, you know, um, systemic racism started to ignite globally, um, we had a channel, if you will, to leverage. And so we took a very specific approach Um Gary is really big on video comms and, you know, connecting with the employees. And I'm our diversity, I'm our executive diversity and inclusion um, partner. So Gary, myself, and um, our head of HR quickly kind of rallied, came together to say, what are, what's the most important things for us to do? Um, how are you going to engage our population, our employee population in coming together and quite frankly, making the uncomfortable comfortable, right? We're going to decided we're going to go there. We're going to have conversations that are for some people uh, you could definitely say would have been a risk, right? I think that there, and I know from, because I have a lot of friends in the DNI space, um, you know, it was a risk because asking your employees, especially people who, you know, are people of color, um, and are really grieving and feeling a huge amount of anxiety and sadness to come in and have to speak in a situation that typically is not considered safe, right? I mean, most people don't like to talk about race or politics at work. And I think race in particular, because there's been backlash that happens. It's not just about someone feeling uncomfortable. It can mean their job, right? It's been mm. people's job in the past. Um and so, you know, to do that was definitely a risk, but we were intentional about it. We were very organized and thoughtful. Um, and we led, you know, our first uh, discussion with the, with the kind of, we gave them a framework uh, ahead of time. What are we going to talk about? What are some conversational prompts? What should you be prepared for? What do you, you know, what are the ground rules of this, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we just had this phenomenal experience where, you know, I think we were all left. I mean, Gary said it at the end of it. He's like, he felt like he had learned more in that 60 minutes than he had learned, you know, in a, a much longer period of time. And it was all due to the, you know, willingness to be vulnerable um, mm-hmm. by our employees and talk about it. And so what what came out of that was not only very, very personal and heartfelt descriptions about things that are difficult, right? Hey, do you know that mm-hmm. sometimes at Dineta this happens, right? We think of ourselves as being a really inclusive and welcoming culture, but that doesn't mean that this stuff doesn't happen because, you know, it's not always intentional. A lot of times it's unconscious. And, and so we heard some things that, yeah, that mm-hmm. was hard to hear. We, we made some mistakes. And that was one of the things we said in the very beginning, we will make missteps, mm-hmm. right? Um, but what came out of it was just mm-hmm. this un- incredible, you know, engagement. Our, our DNI grass, grassroots group more than doubled. Um, we started, we had, we asked the, we asked our, our employees, what feels authentic for us, right? What should we be doing in addition to our pillars that we have? Should we be doing more? And if so, what does that look like? And so we had over 50 different people suggest things that they thought would be meaningful, whether it's policy, whether it's practice, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and so 
I, you know, we compiled that. We reviewed it as a leadership team, Gary and uh, Don and I, and we decided to fund a full-time role um, because we believe it's that important to have somebody who's going to drive what ended up being 12 different initiatives that we're going to add to our current docket. Um, and that person we're out hiring for right now. So they're, they're going to come in and they're going to own this. This will be their full-time job. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not groundbreaking, but it's important. And it's the most important thing I think we could have done is to actually say, we care enough about this, that we're going to have somebody who their job day in and day out is to look at, you know, how do we implement programs, practices, policies that really drive a more inclusive and diverse future with real measurable goals about what we're going to do and how we're going to hit those goals. I, that, that sounds amazing. And I really wanted to hear it from your perspective because I've, you know, I've known you and I know the kinds of things that you write about and what you're passionate about. And I know that, yes, you serve, you know, as an executive partner for the diversity and inclusion at Dynata, but I also know that it, it, it's not as um, common that people in your role see diversity and inclusion as an important part of, um, of product creation. Because from your perspective, what you're saying is if, if, if I can make sure that diversity and inclusion happens with the voices that we hear, with the way that we talk with our clients, with the way that we go to market, I mean, all of these things, then we're going to build a better product. Yes. And we're also going to create a better environment in which we use the product. You no, know, you're so right. And I feel like you literally took the words out of my mouth because the thing is to develop great products, you are going to bat, you know, two for every 10. I mean, if you're real, if you're really honest, not every idea that you have is going to be a slam, a slam dunk or a, what's the baseball metaphor. It's not going to take you around the bases. Right. Um, and the only way that you're going to get that percentage up mm -hmm. is you're going to have people who are honest and they feel psychologically safe to say, I question the theory here. I question the value here. I question the data here, you know, and push hard on it. It's really easy for someone to become proud of their idea and think it's going to be the next thing that changes the world. But a really good product culture is honest about assessing the things that we know are going to lead to successful products, right? We know that the client wants it. We know that we can deliver it based on who we are and our business and our ability to meet their expectations. We know that the industry isn't saturated in this area. And so that there's actually going to be a reason to choose us that's differentiated. We know that the, you know, the, whether it's legal or whether it's, you know, industry regulation is realistic and, um, you know, good for this product, right? I mean, we would all love to have all the data that we could on Priscilla McKinney, but, you know, data privacy doesn't allow for it. So you can design a product that's going to ask her to sign away her whole life and, you know, all of her children, but, you know, that's not going to be, that's not going to be GDPR compliant. Right. And so right. I think that, well, well, Tiama, which, which child though? <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Good point. But we don't want, we don't want to <laughs> But, but yeah, and that's the thing is that that's why I'm so passionate about it because diversity and inclusion drives better ideas in the room. It drives better voices at the table. It drives better ways of looking at a way to solve a problem or even saying, hey guys, you're focusing on the wrong problem. The real issue is over here. And you know what? Those ideas don't come from the exact committee, right? They, right. they don't come from the managers. Sometimes they may, but a lot of times they come from people who are in the trenches working with our clients. And, you know, that's why it's important that everybody feels confident to say, 
and challenge, you know, respectfully uh, what we're doing and, and submit their ideas for consideration to try and drive our business forward. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm telling you, if you are having a diversity and inclusion conversation right now online, make sure that you connect with Tiama on LinkedIn. And because it's a little bit of a different name, I'm going to spell it for you for all of our, we, we you know, we listened uh, to um, on this podcast all around the globe. And I know it, it's important if people want to look people up that they can find someone. So it's Tiama Hanson Drury and that's T-I-A-M-A Hanson, H-A-N-S-O-N hyphen Drury, D-R-U-R-Y. Speaking of Drury, Drury Lane, you're back in London now. And I got to tell you, if you go on like, for example, Adam Jolly's podcast, you're going to have to brush up on your American sports metaphors, Tiama, <laughs> because you've been, you might, and you might have been living in London too long. <laughs> You caught that, right? <laughs> I did. I did. But on this show, we don't care about sports metaphors, so it's fine. <laughs> Thank you. You're very inclusive. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I, that's right. That's right. Also, next time I'm in London, you owe me a drink. Uh, I please. Gin and tonic at my uh, my neighborhood uh Hampstead Bar, okay? Oh, okay. I'm so in it. Listen, you've got to connect with Tiama and also check out um, Wire, which we inadvertently talked about a lot during this podcast. But I think it just goes to show this is the dynamic, you know, uh, career of Tiama and what she's been able to accomplish. But we all know that there are people around us who have helped nudge us in the right direction. And so if that's what you're listening for today, then reach out to one of us and also get connected on, on Wire and attend one of the events. And right now there virtual, of course, but, you know, we'll be back um, together in person as soon as possible. And I think that's where you take your own career in your own hands. And, and you say, you know, I'm going to try, I'm going to reach out and connect with someone. And to really believe that 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 I gotta say people don't re- believe it until they get involved in wire It's such an inclusive community. And it's such a I got your back community. It's really breathtaking. So Tiama, thank you so much for coming on ponderings from the perch and just sharing your expertise and also just you know who you are as a human. Yeah, thanks, Priscilla. And I think I say, uh, speak for the entire industry, you're always be helping and your presence in the community just lifts so many people up and it sets the right it sets the right um, model for what we want to have in this industry. So we're lucky to have you. Awesome. Thanks so much for that. And from all of the peeps here at Little Bird Marketing, we want you to have a great day and make sure that you include as many voices at every table that you're at. And as always, happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.